This is David Tarkington. Thank you for downloading this sermon. For more information about our church, First Baptist Church of Orange Park, and our network, the First Family Network, go to firstfam.org. You can check out my site at davidtarkington.com. We are in this next sermon on uh, equipping for life. And this one is about Proverbs. So I, I did get this email this past week, timely as it is. And uh, I won't read all of it, but here's just, it, it's one of those things that goes around. You've probably seen it. But it was, uh, said a first grade teacher, first grade school teacher, had 26 students in her class. She presented each child. Oh, each child received one of these. I'm not going to go through all of them. But she gave each child in her classroom the first half of a well-known proverb and left the rest blank and asked the kids to fill in the blank of what the proverb was. And so uh, I thought I would just share some of those and see how many of you, you know and how many of you might know from a first grade mentality. So do we have any first graders in here? Any first graders in here? Anybody? Yeah? Okay. So you're not. Are you still in first grade? It's been a great five years. Um, first grade. So um, first grade. So maybe you'll have heard some of these. So here's, uh, here's one. Um, don't change horses in the middle of the stream. Yeah, that's what everybody says. But the first grade version is until they stop running, which makes a lot of sense. <laughs> so remember that. I like this one. Strike while the bug is close. Um, it's always darkest before daylight savings time. Let's see. There, I'm not going to go through all these. Don't bite the hand that looks dirty. No new. <laughs> these are smart kids. Um... No news is impossible, impossible. A miss is as good as a mister. Um, I like this one. This one is true. I mean, they're actually all true when you think about it. You can't teach an old dog new math. The pen is mightier than the pigs. Uh, a penny saved is not much. <laughs> That's good. I like that one. <laughs> That's not much. Two's company, three, the musketeers. Um, let's see. There's a couple more. So this, eh, I won't read that one. Um, some of these I don't want to read. Children should be seen and not spanked. If at first you don't succeed, Get new batteries. You're good. You're good. You almost have these, but you're, you're, obviously you're missing every one of these. I've not heard anybody get them right. Um, this is one of my favorites. A bird in the hand will poop on you. So <laughs> there we go. Just so you know, Proverbs, words to live by, and now we'll have our invitation. No. Um, so, so kids, I know you're in here today. It, it, it's uh, no kids church, so all of you guys are in here today. So here's Here's what parents will wish I hadn't asked you guys to do. But last week I mentioned this, and now I'm going to ask the kids to just kind of lead out. I'm going to challenge you. This is a good thing. Um, you, your parents, your grandparents, whoever is, is bringing you to church regularly, you're here all the time. You know, if you're a guest here today, then I want to thank you for being here. This is uh, a time when our kids come together and worship with us. Normally, uh, three times a week they have kids' church. But I want to ask kids if you just do this and maybe start a conversation. You can be, start the conversation over lunch. Just ask your parents or your grandparents, this question. Tell me how you became a Christian. Just ask them that question. And parents, you have to go to eat with them now. That's kind of the deal. Do your best to answer. Here's the rules, though. You can't tell them when you got baptized. 
So you have to tell them a little more than that. And if you, and if you have a hard time, just say, you know, I'll tell you later. That's fine. I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but I want you to be thinking about the most important story. And as a Christian adult, as a Christian parent, there is a whole lot of presumption. And one of the presumptions we have is that our kids know how we became Christians. And you might discover that you really never told them. You just figured they knew. How would they? They probably weren't even there. So, so you might want to tell them and just engage in that conversation. And maybe you'll have a great time over lunch today. Maybe you have some good conversations. So I'm talking about Proverbs today, and there, are, there is this book in the Bible that is called Proverbs. So we're going to go to that. Now, the Proverbs I read earlier, those are not biblical Proverbs. Those are just things that have been passed down. And I'm talking about the original ones. They're wise sayings. They're, they're, they're easy to remember. They're helpful. Uh, but they're not Scripture. And, um, and there are verses in the Scripture that are more popular than other verses at times. There are verses... That, and, and it sounds weird, it's like a popularity contest for Bible verses, but there are. There are verses more people know than others. There are verses that when, you, when you memorize, and everybody goes to Jesus wept, because it's easy. And then uh, maybe John 3.16, it's a powerful verse. And, and I love John 3.16, it's like the gospel all encapsulated in one verse. It's a great one to go to. Some of you memorize verses out of Romans, if you've worked through the Romans road of evangelism. There are other verses that just kind of come up and we know, but then there are verses that are just, we don't know as much. We don't read them as much. Sometimes it's, you know, it's a connecting verse in a longer story, and I get that. But one of the passages, and a lot of times the passages we go to, are these in the book of Proverbs. And Proverbs is a, is a great book. I want to be very clear. I believe, we teach, that Proverbs, because it is part of the Bible, it is the inspired Word of God. It is the inerrant Word of God. I believe there are no errors in it. You know, in the original language, which of course we don't have, but as we look at this, and God has given us this, this inspired word that's been transliterated in English so we could gather today and understand that it is His word. That being said, I want to make sure you understand I'm not d- diminishing the power of what God has given us in the Proverbs, but there are some things that I, I think we need to acknowledge today. Here's what I do know about the Proverbs and those that are there. If you're looking in your Bible, you might notice that it's written almost poetically it's like a verse after verse after verse one's indented one's not indented uh that's because it's it's wisdom literature it is kind of poetic it is dangerous to take passages out of context but the context of the proverbs are are not like other books in the bible they're not stories they are a a collection of wise sayings and they're categorized together in, in certain areas but but you can actually read a verse and and, and, and get the, the fullness of really what it's saying, it always is valuable to read the ones before and after. Some parents use the book of Proverbs as a disciplinary measure. Kids in trouble, I need you to go read the whole book of Proverbs. I need you to rewrite it for me. You know, and, and, and that helps our children fall in love with the Word. Um, maybe, not. Uh, it's a good devotional book because there's 31 of them. On most months, you can read one proverb book or chapter a, a day. That's, that's good. I mean, it's good stuff. It's encouraging. It's hopeful, hopefully. But you'll also find that sometimes the words are a little discouraging and a little challenging. Today, we're looking at one verse. And it's right there in the, toward the end. It's Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. And it's one of those that's highly popular. It's, it's memorized by many people. Parents tend to know this one. Kids may know it because parents recite it to them, but parents really know it because they look for it. And it says this, train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. 
Now, why does one little verse and a listing of sayings from the wise King Solomon, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, get so much attention? Why so much attention here? Now, not everybody in here is a parent. I get that. But I believe that the wisdom that is offered here in Proverbs 22 is valuable for all of us, especially as a family of God, as the church seeking to, to not just, not just uh, you know, put, the, put the kids on stage as a gimmick, but to actually illustrate that we believe there is value in intergenerational ministry coming together as the church. Why does this verse get so much attention? Because for years, parents have sought insight into parenting. Well, that, that's true. You can see that in any bookstore. You can go, it doesn't have to be a Christian bookstore. You will find shelf after shelf of self-help books. Those are bestsellers, by the way. If you're looking to write a book that'll sell, go for self-help. People will buy that. And for parenting, there's all kinds of parenting helps. There are books on psychologists have written, family experts have written, talk show hosts have written, how to be a better parent, how to parent well, how to have excellent children, how to lead your children. There are people that don't have kids that write about parenting. There are people that have kids that write about parenting. I mean, it's like, it's a money game. If you want to sell a book, write a book about parenting because you'll have some parents who are scared to death that'll buy that book. Just reality. That's how self-help books often sell too. But we buy this, and, we, and, and as Christians, we're going to go, hopefully, to the Word of God first. And we do, and here we are in Proverbs 22, 6. We're like, there's a parenting verse. And as we're talking about the family equipping model of equipping us to be disciple makers, we want to know what this means and how to imply it. But also this. We want this verse because as parents, especially, we don't want to mess up. I mean, it, it's like you get one shot with that kid. <laughs> you want to do it right. You don't want to mess up. It's encouraging, I hope. I hope it's motivational, and I hope it inspires you as it is the inspired Word of God. I believe the Proverbs are powerful. I think they're, in a modern vernacular, they're tweetable because they're 280 characters or less, and you can share it on the phone. It may get you through the day, but, you know, be careful. Verse a day keeps the devil away may not be the theology you need. I don't know if you're like me, and I know you're at this moment thinking, I hope I'm not like you, but anyway. For me, I have this tendency, and it has been revealed to me by my wife, that I get frustrated at things that don't work. Especially things that I've purchased that are supposed to work. For instance, I believe, may not be true, but I believe that every day, every day, 100% of the time, with no exceptions, when I turn the key in the car, it's supposed to start. If it doesn't, that day's ruined. At least the morning is. Because I have to make adjustments. And that just, I didn't plan on that happening. I believe that my iPhone should work all the time, regardless what Apple upgrade I've just put on there. Right now I'm a bit frustrated because the icons are moving and I'm not touching them and I don't know what's going on. I'm waiting for someone to fix that. I believe that the TV should work every time I turn it on. I believe the microwave should work every time I turn it on. And and our three microwaves, not at the same time, but we keep having to get new ones. I have worked every time until they stop. Then I get a new one. Last year, our dishwasher stopped. It's a computer on the front end, and it just quit working. So I did what everybody does nowadays. I went to YouTube to figure out how to break it more. And I did, apparently. 
And I don't need a dishwasher because it's just the two of us and that's two plates. I said, I'm washing dishes. I don't need a dishwasher. But when we sell the house, we'll have to buy a new dishwasher. So, but it frustrated me a little bit because this thing, when I hit this, it's supposed to, it's supposed to clean the dishes. Nothing's happening. Anybody else get frustrated at things when they don't work and they're supposed to? When you buy something, it's supposed to work every time. Here's the problem though. Here's what happens. Sometimes we take that belief system or that understanding or everything ought to work the way it's supposed to work and we apply it to human beings. We have expectations. We think that when I do X, Y, and Z, the response should always be this. Right? And, it, and for parents that have more than one child, you know this is the case. Because you discover the hard way often that what worked with child A doesn't work with child B. And you're racking your brain going, I'm doing the exact same thing. With child A, I could scare them into obedience. And child B isn't scared. Proverbs 22, help. You know, you're looking for something. And because people aren't robots, and because people aren't machines, and people aren't TVs or phones or your Netflix or whatever, they don't always respond how you expect them to or how you think they should. And it's not just with children, it's people. And it's you and me as well. It's baffling, but it is reality. And so what we do is often as Christians, and I'm talking to Christians now, is we go where we look for insight and help. And, and ideally we're going to go to the Bible, we're going to go to the Word of God. I believe it to be true and errant and inspired, so that's where I want to go. I want to hear what God has to say about it. And so we go to the Bible looking for the fix-it verse. And yet there is this danger because sometimes, even in our even I'm not, even as Christians, been in church our whole life, sometimes we misappropriate scripture. And we think a verse is something it is not. Now let me just go ahead. Now, some of you are guests today, and it may not this may not click with you. Most of you have heard me, me talk about this. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to be very positive today. I'm, gonna, I'm trying to be very encouraging. I, I have been told I am discouraging and negative. So I'm gonna try not to be. So I'm going to smile while I tell you things you don't like. Right? I mean, I don't want to just read a verse and then yell at you for an hour. I've been told that's kind of my nature. So I'm trying to get better. I'm trying to get better. I'm only going to yell at you for 30 minutes. So I want to be, I want to be encouraging. And I am encouraged by this, but I had to get to a point of encouragement. Um, there is this type of teaching out there that is really easy for us as evangelicals and especially, you know, conservative, Bible-believing, gospel-centered churches to attack attack may be the wrong word it's just so easy to shut down as man that's bogus and wrong there is a it's hard because especially in the american culture today this version of church is really popular it fills up coliseums uh they have really good music so usually as long as there's good music people will put up with really bad theology have you ever noticed that if the band is good, it doesn't matter what they're singing as long as the band is good and the light show works. So uh, I'm not opposed to light shows, by the way. I just really am opposed to bad theology. But th there is this, this theology out there that basically says this, that if you have more faith, you would not get sick. If you have a disease or cancer or something you're dealing with physically, the answer is get more faith. And if you're sick, you obviously don't have enough faith. If you are struggling financially, you need more faith. If you're not rich, you need more faith. 
If you have debt, you obviously don't have enough faith. And there is this gospel that is, it's, it's not really the gospel, it just masquerades as it. And it's propagated on, uh, at theme parks, at television shows, and books, best-selling books. Christian, some of you are reading that stuff. I know you are. Uh, I mean, you, I just know. You've quoted it, and I'm like, ah, warning, it's not true. It's a lie. I think it's super dangerous. But it's really easy to, to, to just kind of deconstruct what's known as word faith theology and the prosperity gospel. It's just really easy from a biblical standpoint to say, so everybody's going to be rich that follows Jesus. Jesus wasn't rich. How's that? I mean, so you can really kind of go there. But if you listen closely, and give me just a chance to try to explain this, I, I want to reveal something I think is dangerous as the lie of the prosperity gospel. We'll call it the health and wealth gospel that commoditizes faith. What it does is it cre- turns faith into something you need to just get a little more of. Get a little more, I got a little more faith, put it in my pocket, now I'm, on, I'm not going to get sick. Got a little more faith, you just need more faith. Just more faith, you don't have enough faith. Okay, that's the prosperity gospel, and I hope you don't buy into it, but people do. You may have family that does. But here's what we've done as Baptists and evangelicals. We'll, we'll shoot that down easily. While at the same time creating a version of prosperity gospel that has bapti- been baptized and is acceptable in our church. A version of the very same thing that we will use and we will hold on to and falsely believe it to be biblical. Now what is that item that has been commoditized by the prosperity hucksters? that says you need more of this and you won't get sick and you'll have more money. You just need more faith. But in the evangelical world, we go, oh, that's so foolish. But at the same time, we say, maybe not overtly, but at least subtly, and sometimes in Sunday school, Bible study, small groups, and sometimes from the pulpit it actually comes out, that if you just were more obedient, things would work out. You're just not obedient enough. You need more obedience. We have traded the fake gospel of prosperity with commoditized faith, and we've just traded it for commoditized obedience. So when difficulties happen in homes, by the way, Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. So when parents are looking at their kids and they're departing from it, they're looking at their own life going, I guess we just need to be more obedient. Let's unpack that a little bit. I have a book in my office titled The Excellent Wife. It's a great book, actually. It's written by Dr. Uh, Martha Peace, Dr. Stuart Scott. They, they've co-written this. Scott is, uh, was one of my professors this last year. He is a uh, counselor, biblical counselor. He has taught at Southern. He teaches now at the Master's Seminary in California. He's been on staff at, at I think, with the uh, Master's Church, or at John MacArthur's Church there and, and other places. Uh, just a, nothing but high respect for Dr. Scott. The book is titled The Excellent Wife. It's not necessarily uh, a, a title where I think women are jumping and going, oh, I want to get that. And by the way, husbands probably don't need to buy it for your wife. I'm just saying. I love you. Happy Valentine's Day. Here's a book. There is a partner book to it. It's called The Exemplary Husband, still written by Dr. Scott. Both books are written and very, very heavily gospel-centered and biblically based. Great books. I'm giving them good recommendations. All right, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But the title kind of catches people. And this is another illustration of the version of baptized prosperity gospel that sometimes rises up in, in our churches. So let's talk to about, about the women. 
The excellent wife actually comes from Proverbs 31.10. And you ladies may have heard, maybe you've heard it ad nauseum and are tired of hearing it, that you need to be a Proverbs 31 woman. Proverbs 31 is a great, great chapter. It elevates the godly woman, it elevates her, and it speaks of her and her impact and her role and her life. It says that she, an excellent wife, oh, she is one, right? You can read ex, uh, Proverbs 31, you often hear it read or quoted at funerals for godly women. We will read it and say, and that's a Proverbs 31 woman. Her children rise up and call her blessed. And all those things, now a lot of ladies like to skip the whole, I'm, you know, I'm getting up early in the morning and... And, and getting corn in or whatever it is. But anyway, so, but there is that whole concept of being an excellent woman, an excellent wife. And I mean, who, what wife wouldn't want to be an excellent wife, right? It's encouraging, it's challenging. However, pastors and teachers for years sometimes, not all, but sometimes have taught that wives, now I know I'm talking to a specific group now, that wives will enjoy incredible marriages and relationships with their spouse, with their husband, and they will be considered great mothers of their children if they would just be excellent. That's all you got to do. Just be excellent. Proverbs 31. Men aren't immune to, immune to this. Men go to conferences and, and every now and then a man will read a book. Like when we're in the waiting room of the doctor's office, right? Family circle or something. But We don't read as much, but we'll read and so men's conferences, which are usually somehow involve a wild game dinner, a car show, and some guy with a fishing line, uh, lure teaching you how to fish. I like those, all those things, by the way. I'm not knocking it, but that's what men's things look like. Then they give away a truck or a camouflage cap or a Bass Pro Shop gift card because it's manly. Arr. So in the manly world, and, and sometimes that's just like pseudo-manly. We'll get into that later. That doesn't necessarily mean biblical manliness, but... You'll read that, you'll go to that, and you'll go to these conferences, and somewhere along the line, a speaker will come up. Sometimes I've been that speaker. And they'll speak about being an exemplary husband and a man of integrity. And the man of integrity message comes out of Proverbs 20, verse 7. And the subtle message is this. If you're a man of integrity, then your children are going to do well. And your wife will call you blessed. And your family life will be excellent. But you've got to be a man of integrity. Now, here's the deal. Wives should seek to be holy and excellent and love the Lord first. Men should be men of integrity. There's no debating any of this. I just want you to know, I'm not discounting either of those things. That should be our goal. So now we move on to talk about parents. And young parents especially get this. They are taught... Maybe not overtly, but sometimes this is what is heard. Sometimes it's not what is taught, but it's what is heard. And they are taught subtly sometimes that the eternal destination and the eternal destiny of their children is, are dependent on their strict and consistent training and their obedience to the Proverbs 22.6 verse. Now I would say parents should seek to be holy. That should be easy and not, you shouldn't be debating that. Husbands, wives, moms, dads should love God first and seek to be holy. They should honor God in their marriage. They should honor God in their life. They should, as we are seeking to do here as a church, saying, hey, we want to help parents be the lead disciple makers in their church. You should want to be that. You should be the first faith teacher for your children. 
But I don't want you to hear what we're not saying. I want you to read Proverbs 22.6 and hang on to it, but not believe it's something that it's not. Because I think this is where this passage and many other, if not all the Proverbs are mishandled. Proverbs are beautiful. They're encouraging. They're wonderful. But you know what they're not? They're not promises. They're not promises. And often Christians want them to be. And sometimes the enemy helps believers think they are. When Scripture is misused, it's a dangerous thing, and just as dangerous as the prosperity gospel hucksters selling a bit of faith to help you send them more money. By the way, the prosperity gospel hucksters, the only ones that are healthy and wealthy are the ones that the people are, are sending their money to, it tends to be. All right, just in case you didn't catch that. They're growing their wealth off the backs of those who can't afford to send them things. But in this false gospel of obedience gospel, we may be doing just as much danger and damage. By the way, don't hear what I'm not saying. Christians should be obedient to the Word of God. There, I said it. Make sure you get that. Underline it. Now let's move on. By believing this, here's the misunderstanding and the misuse that parents sometimes fall into. When misunderstanding and misusing this, parents can fall into a church-based and Christian-looking trap of believing that if they would just be obedient or more obedient then God's promises of a wonderful family would come true for them. They would have kids who do not cheat. They would have kids that do not rebel. They would have kids who do not do drugs or do things illegal, that won't go places they shouldn't and won't do things that embarrass the family name. If mom and dad would just line up and do the obedient thing, then God would take care of making sure they're not embarrassed or hurt by anything their kids do. And then they would grow up to be well-productive, godly, moral, clean-living Christian citizens that the congregation would say well done to. If that was a promise. It's not a promise though. It says raise up a child in the way he should go. And so we need to, what does that mean? That's been debated for generations. But how do we know it's not a promise? I'll put it this way. Let's go back to the excellent wife. Let's go back to the man of integrity. Let Let me just throw this out. Everybody in the room likely knows an excellent wife. And I'll, I'll define it this way. A godly woman who loves the Lord more than anything. A godly woman who prays deeply and clearly. A godly woman who seeks to honor the Lord in all she does. A godly woman who has been active in her local church and has brought her family with her and has volunteered and has served the Lord and has... She's not perfect, don't hear, what I'm, don't hear that, but she's godly, she's holy. And most of us know an excellent wife who was married to a jerk of a husband who had no integrity, and I, I said I do to her, but had a bunch of other hers. And a lot of us may actually know some men of integrity who are married to women that did not fulfill the role of being a holy and excellent wife either. So if it's a promise, then why does the excellent wife have a husband sometimes that's not worthy of that? If it's a promise, why can the man of integrity have a wife who is unfaithful to him? If it's a promise, how can a husband and wife who love Jesus more than their spouse and even more than their kids actually have kids that do not love Jesus and walk away from the faith? Because it's not a promise. It's a proverb. And now we've got to figure out what that means. 
So, does this mean God's mean? Does this mean he's, got, he's playing tricks on us? No, here's what it means. It simply means that often we don't use Scripture well. And when we want it to say something, we will make it say something as best we can. In this case, we are no different than those friends and family members who due to hopelessness and due to a desire for ideal fixes and are hurting deeply, send their money to the hucksters on TV for the faith blessing. We're doing the same thing, we're just doing it with the other, the other end. We do it in an acceptable way. It, it, it might actually be called acceptable sin in the modern church vocabulary. There are many broken homes in our community. You don't even have to be a Christian, a church member, or anybody that believes in God, but you can read from uh, secularists and atheists who are quoting and hashtagging uh, kids without dads as response to what happened in South Florida. They're talking about there's a mess in the family right now. Well, this is not new news. I mean, it, it, this has been going on for decades. So we know this is a reality. There are broken homes in our community. There are broken homes in our own families and i mean our own bloodlines here and then there are broken homes in our church family and as you read in scripture you'll find there are broken homes in the bible even from like david a man after god's own heart and others we all know parents who raise their kids in church in christian homes desiring them to be followers of christ only to have their kids reject the faith it's a tragedy no question there are some who, the reality is here. I mean, we know it. We, we know this in our own lives. We all have family. We have friends that do this. We have some that, that, that we know, and I know parents that are grieving over this because they have been told point blank by their preteen child that they don't believe what they believe. Some of you have adult children who do not believe what you believe. And some who have children who live under your house, and you have the house rule that says, if we go to church, you're going with us, and they come with you, but they don't believe it. They don't believe it, don't want to believe it, and parents are grieving because they're looking at their children like you're looking at an hourglass, and you're watching the sand get really, really small at the top, and you start wondering, oh Lord, if we just had a better children's ministry, a better youth ministry, a better preschool ministry, a better family ministry, maybe we'd save them, maybe we'd get them, but we know in the heart of hearts of who we are that even that wouldn't fix that, and we're watching the sand trickle down, and we're scared to death that the sand is going to disappear, and the kid is going to graduate from high school, and he's going to graduate from faith, and he's going to walk away and you won't see him and you just don't know so at that point in panic you look give me a verse pastor give me a verse that helps me help me get this and can i just say i've been there we all kind of go there at some point and i'm looking for the fix i want the verse that's going to tell me what i need to do and sometimes we go to proverbs 22 6 which is wonderful when understood correctly And when the tragedy of real life starts hitting, there aren't enough really rough, poorly made tissues in these boxes on the front row to help dry all the tears in this room. Because those stories are multiplicative. But I want you to, in the midst of this very encouraging word I just gave you, to be encouraged. Because while God's proverbs are not promises, they were never meant to be. God's Proverbs tell us that, for the most part, 
for Christian families and followers of God, and if you obey these rules and stay within the guardrails on these guidelines, more often than not, these are going to be the results. More often than not. But not always. But his promises and his proverbs both are very powerful. And this is not a license to skip the book of Proverbs. Read it, understand it, and hold to it. Robert Lewis was the former pastor of Fellowship Bible Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. He is the founder and creator of Men's Fraternity, 33, the men's study, and all of that. We did those here for years, and in one of the video teachings, he talked about this verse, and he said, here's something that he realized as, as a father. So I'm leaning in at the time, this was years ago, and I'm leaning in, all right, what's the secret sauce? What have we learned here? He says, often we've misunderstood the passage, but need to realize that we are called to raise our children in the way they should go as God has wired them for God's glory with the giftingness that God has given them. And that means raise them in the way they should go, which may be different in the way we think they ought to go. Now, the way they should go is bounded by the truths in the word of God. Those are not debatable. So I'm not talking about cultural redefinitions of right and wrong. But the way they ought to go as he has wired them may be different than what we as good Christian parents think they should go. I mean, what if you really want a good football player as a kid, but God gave you an artist and a musician instead? He wired them that way. What if you want an artist and a musician, but he gave you a computer programmer instead? He wired her that way. How has God wired your child? She, she or he is not a carbon copy of you. Nor are they designed by God to fulfill all the things you failed at. For our children must be viewed as gifts from God for his glory and not ours. That's hard. I wish this was easy. But it's true. And I walk away going, well, this is fun. What do I do with this verse now? I think we should rejoice. I think we should rejoice that we have these wise sayings for us to read and to apply and to make our children read and to, to take heart that, that, that these are guidelines that would give us help in, in leading lives that are honoring to Him. That there are so many things in these verses. Excellent wives, yeah, you should be excellent. Integrity men, yeah, you should have integrity men. Parents, raise them right, absolutely. Why are we debating this? We should never debate that. But it's all for the glory of God. And may I just throw this out as a little bit of a, of, of a closing challenge? Here's what I've learned. <laughs> Don't you hate learning things the hard way? I have learned, yeah, okay. I have learned, and maybe this is what we all need today, that what we need to grasp from this is to be a bit more sympathetic and empathetic for brothers and sisters in Christ who are going through stories that aren't ending well. There is this tendency, and it's human nature, and I'm not throwing anyone under the bus. I'll throw me under the bus. I've been there, so I can throw me. There is this tendency to look at a family in the church that's, you know, they're here all the time. That means what? Like 12 times a year. So they're here. That's modern regular attendance, by the way. But let's say they're even here like once a week. Awesome. They've raised their kids in the church. They take them to Iwana, they go to youth group, they go to mission trips. They do the, you know, they, but at some point in the midst of all that, of the good godly parents who are active, Sunday school teachers, deacons, ushers, greeters, whatever, we, they, they're volunteers, they're servant, they're godly, they love Jesus, they love the church, that's good, nothing bad. But somewhere along the line, the kid decided, 
even though raised in that home and that world, the kid decided, I don't know that I believe what you believe. I think I'm looking at some other things. I definitely don't want to live the way you're living, so I'm going to walk away from that too. And all of a sudden, it hurts deeply, so you're running, how can I fix this? You can't fix it, so you just fall on your face. And you're going through the crisis. The tendency sometimes, not everybody, I'm not throwing, but sometimes the tendency is for other good Christian families to look at that parent and go, they really screwed up. They really messed up. That kid's messed up because that parent's messed up. And there's a story in the New Testament. I think it was a blind guy. They kind of showed, I think he's blind. I've got to look it up again. And the disciples looked at Jesus and said, Who sinned, his mom or his dad? And Jesus said, Neither. And those people didn't have a worldview perspective to be able to realize that a child could have difficulty and it not be their parents' fault. Now, here's the reality everybody in the room that's a parent, we've all messed up. There ain't 100% got it right every time parent in the room. And none of you were raised by those people either, by the way, in case you think your parents were. They weren't. Nobody gets it right all the time. But at the same time, let's be a little more sympathetic and a little more empathetic before we start throwing stones. If those parents had only done this, if they'd disciplined that, if they'd have done this right, if they'd have done that right, that kid wouldn't have ended up like that. Be careful. Because the kid that ends up like that might end up being yours next. And then you have a real self-evaluation. Or it could just be your grandkids. Or it could be your niece or your nephew. And here's the thing I've had to walk away with this. In the midst of crisis in homes where children reject the faith, our God loves them more than we do. And he uses these crisis moments in them for his glory. And if possible, if chosen, in the parents' lives as well. It's amazing how, close, how much closer to God a parent will be when they are forced to fall on their knees, when everything's not working perfectly according to what the magazines say ought to look good. So be careful. If you look at others and prejudge, be careful. If you have, have the privilege of having the perfect family, I mean that in quotes because they're not, but you know, everything's going well, and you're going, man, I'm just so blessed. I'm just so, I am thankful you are. But pray for your brothers and sisters too. Because the God that loves the perfect families loves the myriad of broken ones as much. And remember this, you have a God who is your father. Your God loves you. He loves you. He loves your children. He loves your grandchildren. And he is not promising an easy fix by just read this verse today and everything's going to be okay. But he's promising a long journey of faith. He promises to heal families, to turn mourning into dancing, and he will give you the grace you don't deserve to get through it and the mercy that you desire. In the meantime, read the Proverbs and seek to implement them because I believe they're helpful and they're holy. I believe they can be considered guardrails for a holy life. And by the way, and if you didn't know this, a holy life is a very dangerous life. And that's why we need guardrails. Trust and obey, as the old hymn said, just don't let obedience become your prosperity gospel. If I just obey more, my kids would be okay. Probably not. But you probably should still obey. But don't commoditize it. Well, be encouraged. God knows what you're going through before you have to go through it.